millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast. Every week, this podcast will bring you a slice of current affairs you might find engaging and informative. We look at the big stories of the week and we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that we've featured in the Irish Examiner and our unique interpretation of those stories. Now, the boxing movie is a genre of film that has always held a fascination for the public. Go back to Raging Bull with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesky. And then you had the Rocky franchise and um, what in film terms, I suppose, is the son of Rocky, which is the recent Creed movies. It's, I suppose it's the kind of movie that throws up themes of one man or woman fighting against the odds, trying to support the family with fists and wider themes about poverty and inequality. A new boxing film, a documentary film in this case, debuted at the Kerry Film Festival last week and is having another run out at the Richard Harris Film Festival in Limerick tomorrow, Saturday the 26th of October. Folks, I've had a sneak preview of this and I have to say that it is a gem. It's called The Prize Fighter and it was made by Terry McMahon, who's, in my opinion, anyway, one of the brightest people working in film today. It follows Cork boxer Gary Spike O'Sullivan as he attempts to get a shot at the world title in a succession of fights last year. It doesn't have an actual lot of boxing in it, but it does show the good, the bad and the ugly of the fight game and the business around, the, around it. But more than that, it's really on the button in portraying the main protagonist Spike and his hopes and dreams as he chases a shot at the big time. Spike's trainer, and I suppose you'd nearly have to call him his soulmate in the journey, is Packy Collins. Packy now is from a famous family. He's a brother of the former world champion Steve Collins and also of Roddy Collins, who's been a big figure in Irish soccer. I met up with Spike and Packy during the week and began by asking Spike what he thought of having a camera trailing him around as he went about his business. Um, exciting. Brilliant likes. Good crack. Good fun and uh, I mean, added to the this whole thing, I guess, you know, and uh, when the camera's on you, you punch much faster and harder as well. And Packy, you were, you were part of the whole thing. How did you find it, just the camera trailing around after you and Terry McMahon, who was making the uh, the movie? Um, well, I've, I've, I've seen this before with my brother Steve, and, you know, I also work with Kevin McBride. We've had this too, so um, if you have the right people around, it's, it's, it's interesting, and, you know, even speaking with Terry... You know, when this finished, um, we're looking forward to the next part because he's become part of the team Terry has. You know, there's always great banter and you need some to slag and unfortunately he's the last in, so we slag Terry. And the finished product as well, Spike. What, how did you think that came across? Did you think it captured the essence of what you were about? I think so. I was kind of uh, emotional watching actually, to be honest. You know, especially, like, Terry stayed on. I always stayed right and we were kind of talking about it and... Uh, you know, uh, I've watched it probably ten times. Every time I see my daughter in the beginning when she puts her hands over her eyes, it really gets me. So it's, very, it's very enjoyable. I love it. And Packy? Well, I actually watched it for the first time about a week ago, and um, we kind of chromed it to my TV. And I kind of forgot, you know, that myself and Spike are in this, featured in this, and it was brilliant. And when it ended, 
and the way it ended, I was kicking myself because I wanted to see more. So it, it was great. It was brilliant. It was a masterpiece. Grant, and the whole um, premise behind it was, Spike, you came to the attention of this promoter in America who saw something unique in you, and then you had the prospect of three fights, the final of which would have been a shot at the unified world title. Yeah, um, unfortunately it didn't work out. Uh... No, but I mean, there's a story of the journey, and I think, I think a lot came across about you as a fighter and a person in that journey. Yeah, it's been just a great journey. I, I tweeted yesterday to Pascal, uh, you know, just truth. Um, it's been a lot of long, hard roads, lots of ups and downs, and but I don't regret a minute of it. It's been a great journey in my life, and it's been I've been very fortunate. It's, I feel like I'm having a great life. And just in terms of your career, uh, I mean, I saw somewhere that you first came across the idea of being a boxer, being a world champion, was the Eubank Steve Collins fight. That's right, I can remember like yesterday, I walked with my uh, my father and my brothers, we walked to, to the fight. We lived in Mahan, beside uh, Party Cueve, and it was the very first professional boxing match I ever attended. I watched it forever, as long as I can ever remember on TV, the, the fights, but um, it was my first time being there, and I was just about to begin uh, my, my own boxing career. I was 11, and that's when you can fight for the first time, officially. And uh, I was just, I watched the fight, and... Obviously, the Irishman won, and it was, uh, it was surreal. He beat Eubank, this guy I'd watched on TV, the unbeatable Eubank. An Irishman beat him, and I just... It was more of a fantasy, a dream, I don't know how to exactly say it, but it was... Oh, geez. Imagine being him. I'd love to be him, you know. It'd be a dream. And eventually, you end up being trained by none other than Steve Collins' brother. It was all a uh, part of the destiny. My first actual <coughs> experience um, came with the Collins family, uh, funny enough, with... Roddy Collins. Well, firstly, I went to Parky Cueve and I watched Steve beat Eubank. But uh, I remember I went, went to a football match down in Cove, which is a train journey away from Cork City Centre. We went, well, I went with a friend of mine and uh, we missed uh, the second last train. And uh, there was Roddy, such a great guy, you know, he, he offered to give us a lift on the team bus, the Bohemians bus, back to the city centre. I was well worn by my parents, strange danger, and uh, he was, you know, he, he was a ropey looking character, to be fair to me. And uh, I said, No, I'm not getting in the bus, waiting for the last train. And, uh, uh, Packy, that was his first encounter with the Collins family, and you're a fairly well known family, all of you. But um, how, how, was, how was your first encounter with Spike? Um, before I go into that, I'd like to just hit back on the question last Spike a minute ago about the three fight deal, you know, where all this be going. Prior to prior to that big win Spike had in, in, in Canada that kind of caught the attention of Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy, you know, every opportunity, big opportunity that came our way that was off the Spike, he took it. And some worked out, some didn't. This one in Canada, you know, really we were going going over as the uh, outside fighter, the underdog, and when Spike had that win, it was a huge win for him. Just tell us a bit about that, that fight in particular. How, how did that come about and you went over there? Well, basically, um, you know, going back in time, we got off the fight uh, by Frank Warren to fight in, in the UK, Matthew Hall. Spike took the fight two weeks notice. He won. It propelled him into top 20 in the world. And then along the way, he fought Billy Joe Saunders. He fought Chris Eubank Jr. You know, on the night, didn't work out. But not everything works out in life like this. And that's the whole good thing about this journey. Um, but we got this offer to go fight in Canada against a really good fighter. He was a big name at Golden Boy, and 
when I when I looked at him, I thought, you know what? I think this fight is good for Spike. I think Spike can beat this guy. And um, we sat down. You know, Spike will say yes to anything. You know, well not to anything, but when it comes to boxing, he will. Um, but anyway, so uh, I put this for to him. He goes, yeah. What do you think? I says, actually, I think he can beat this guy. We got to put a really good camp in because I wouldn't say it was his last opportunity, but it was it was a big opportunity. So. Basically, we put the camp in. We flew to Boston for the last week. We finished up there, flew to Canada. I think it was like minus 25, 26 degrees. Temperature it was horrible weather. But the Canadian people, especially Montreal, were lovely. They, they embraced us. And uh, we just had a good feel about this fight. you know. And, and the, the big thing was, um, it was HBO TV. And HBO boxing at that time was mega. It was huge. you know. So the reason we took this fight was because HBO, the money wasn't great. You know, there was no big offers, there was no big contracts, there was nothing. Um, because I think they thought we would lose this fight. So we went out and, you know, fast forward, Spike had a brilliant win in the fashion of knocking out Anton Douglas. And, you know, on the on the, on the the film that was captured by Terry, you could see De La Hoya and Diaz and, and Gomez, you know, they're kind of rubbing their hands together here. These be promoters. Well, Oscar De La Hoya is former Olympic champion who's head of Golden Boy Promotions. And then you got the president and the matchmaker for Golden Boy Promotions. It was their event. Um, and they're going, hang on a minute, where did this guy come out? So, you know, in the heel of the hunt, it was a lot of back and forth where our promoter at the time in Boston, Ken Casey, from the Dropkick Murphy's band. He's also Murphy Boxing. It was back and forth between myself, Ken Casey, and um, Golden Boy. But however, we also had a call from Eddie Hearn the night that Spike had this win. Often is a big fight um, with Daniel Jacobs for Spike's next fight. The money was huge. All of a sudden, we had something to work towards and we had some monies to work off. So, uh, you know, long story short, we worked out a really, really good three-fight deal for Spike. Um, and thankfully, it was captured by Terry. And, you know, the journey has been going on for nearly 12 years. But the last two years of this journey has been brilliant. Um, and, and, and just to detail it up, Packy, there, there was the, the three-fight deal. The first fight was in L.A., second fight then in uh, Las Vegas against um, David Lemieux. And, and we will follow that. That's in the film. But I think it really captures the idea of fighter and trainer going over from Dublin and being thrust into the middle of the showbiz element of the whole boxing scene over there. Yeah, well, we were kind of grounded. You know, we kept ourselves grounded. We stuck with the plan. We stayed with... Uh, that comes across. Oh, that. Absolutely. We're, we're there to box. We're there to fight. And when I had this conversation with Terry originally, I said, listen, I said, if this interrupts our training... Actually, Terry said to me, if this is in any way interrupting your training, if you want to tell me to go, you know, take a walk for an hour or two, do it. Don't be afraid, which I wouldn't anyway. And he knows that about me. And, and that's the good thing. And that's the one thing I liked about Terry from the very word go... He's straight, I'm straight, we both know where we stand. And uh, literally, I said to Spike, you're out here. I said, you're here to train, you're here for a reason to fight. It's all going to be documented, but I said, it cannot affect what your real focus is here for on the night. And uh, we're so lucky to have it all documented. It might not have worked out, you know, the way it was planned, but that's not a bad thing either. You know? No, and I think, I think it captures the, 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 both the sides of uh, a boxer and what a boxer has to go through and the whole thing. You saw this as a possible route to security and some financial security for your family. Yeah, I didn't need I, that's what motivates me when I train, um, you know, to 
provide for my family and uh, that's it's very hard training like it's, t- it's tough like it's not it's not and you you you, tra- you train in dublin spike and you commute up and down you're living in cork still you commute up and down leave the family come up to dublin three four days at a go and then you have to go off for a fight um you could be training for weeks before that as well it takes you away a fair bit doesn't it does, yeah, it's a lot of uh, commitment, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice. I was just saying, Terry, when we were pulling away from my house uh, yesterday, how much I hate going away all the time. I, I hate leaving my partner and my kids. It's tough, you know, the uh, sacrifice that has to be made. And you, you, you make a point in the film of saying that one of the things, one of the dreams you had there was the idea of if things worked out, that you'd be able to buy your own home for your family and your four, your four children. Yeah, I've I, I done that, bought the house. So that was a uh, mega, you know. Everything else now is uh, a bonus. Yeah, and th- 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 there's that, that kind of dual aspect to the whole thing. The one, the man going out to provide for his family, and at the same time, you have this elemental thing of being the champion, being the best there is, and going into the ring with that in mind. You, you, you have the earner, but you also have the sportsman, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. It's- since I was a kid, a young kid, I used to watch, get up and watch the fights from America. Earlier, I was at morning with my father, and uh, I always dreamt of being champion of the world. Like you know, so um, I follow my dreams. Yes, my dreams for real. And Packy, that comes across too in terms of your role in in Spike's um, career. That idea that there's the focus there, and that's to be the champion. Yeah, well, I mean, from from the first time I met Spike, I, you know, I liked him. I, I realized he was an intelligent guy, and you know, it's easy to teach him certain things. But there was something about him I saw in Spike. There was, there was a steelness about him, uh, kind of a nasty streak, you know, inside the ring, that you need to go all the way. And, and I wouldn't waste my time with a person or, or a fighter or a person, yeah, in the human beings. But uh, I wouldn't waste my time either, or their time. I'd say he has a trade, he's a, he's a metal fabricator. I'd say, you know what, Spike, you can make a good living for yourself doing this. But I, I, I could see something in Spike because... You know, I've seen similarities to my brother Steve too, and and the sacrifices Spike makes. You know, he doesn't have to come to Dublin every week. He can he can train in Cork and just come for training camps when fights come up. But he doesn't. He comes up. He wants to keep playing. He wants to keep better himself. And um, and I and I believe that you know you reap what you sow. So all the hard work he's putting in is coming to fruition now. Now there was opportunities where he could have quit. And he, you know, people would have said he had a really good career so far. But he didn't. He wanted to keep going to the end. Yeah, and Spike, the other thing that comes across is uh, in, in the nature of the fight game, you're surrounded by not an entourage such yourself, but there's people all around. There's fans who are interested. There's the officials. There's the promoters, everybody. And then at the end of the day, when everything is stripped back, you're there, just two men inside in the ring, one against the other, and everything else is completely irrelevant. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm always prepared for my best ability and um, I'm always ready to do a battle, you know, so um, I always feel confident in that scenario, always. Yeah, that comes across. And the other thing, Packy, comes across is your involvement, um, and I think that there's a mention in there, Spike says, that it's more than just a trainer-boxer relationship, like that you're concerned about more than him as a boxer or his career. Yeah, well, I, I, I try and uh, mentor most of my fighters. Not mentor, but teach them about life, life coaching um, and literally you know, to be the best fighter, the best athlete everything in your life has to be good so we, we sit and we talk about his home life, his work life, his financial setup, and everything has to go hand in hand and it has to work so 
I take a, I, I wouldn't say I get involved, but there's a lot more involvement between me and a fighter. And, you know, I, I give my all to a fighter. Basically, I open my heart to a fighter. You know, I'm, I'm loyal to, to my detriment. I fall out, I've fallen out with people, good people, important people, to protect my fighters. But I don't care, I'll do it every day of the week. I once was that fighter. And I think the fighters I have around me now, they realise that this is something money can't buy. This is, you know, we've had a conversation, me and Spike even saying, I dread the day Spike retires because I love him coming to Dublin. He's part of the furniture. He adds to this gym. He's part of this gym. He's been there from the very start. And when you, you can see certain people come into the gym, whether here guys that are here to train, leaving their home. When they see Spike, they light up because you know they're going to have a bit of fun as well as train. So we had this conversation, you know, that this is not, this will never be the end. So what I did say Spike was next, when you do decide to call it a day, um, why don't we co-manage a fire together? So you'll always have that involved in this gym, back and forth, and absolutely. It's, it's, it's become a it's, it's a, it's not just a partnership, it's a friendship. And um, and I have to have that reach for it. I gotta, I gotta love them, they gotta love me for the person I am, not just as their trainer. You know, there has to be a connection, there has to be a loyalty there, a trust there. And once you have that combination, you know, you do everything you can to hold on to them. And it's worked for me in Spike, and it's worked for me in some other fighters too. What a fighters, it doesn't. You know, they have different views and angles of things, and that's okay, that's their own business. But uh, I think that's why we're so close, and we become like family. Spike comes up, like Spike people in my mother's house probably more than I am. And Spike, one of the things, there was a feeling there that the, the, the Mexican who followed the fight in particular, they took a liking to you, they, they, they saw in you something they could really relate to. Yeah, I like them too, I like all the Mexicans, and uh, they're very friendly people, and I, I've always admired their style of boxing. I said that, I think they listened to me, and you know, they, they yeah, you, you, you come out to the fight with a big sombrero on and all. What I thought, uh, Mark, respect it was the Cinco de Mayo, mid Cinco de Mayo, the Mexican holiday, you know, and I thought um, if there was a Mexican guy here fighting in Ireland and uh, it was Paddy's weekend, if he made his gesture to, you know, towards the Irish, thought that'd be nice. So I didn't, I didn't just sort of mark respect for them, you know, wore the sombrero. And um, the. Um and where did this originate, this kind of affinity with Mexico? I don't know, I did, there was a lot of great Mexican fighters growing up, like, you know, watching them. Um, so I, I always liked the Mexican style, that's what they call it. Boxing is part of the Mexican style, the way they, they fight. So um, I've always been a fan of Mexican. And the heavyweight of the champion of the world now, Ruiz, you know, delighted for him as well. The other thing that comes across is, um, obviously... It's, it's it's known to some extent in terms of you lost the the, the fight in, in the film against um, David Lemieux, and the next day you got over it, you bounce back. It's like okay, that's done, that's history, and you're able to get back on the horse effectively straight away. Yeah, I have to give Pascal credit for that because, um, like as a life coach, like as he was mentioning, great attitude. You know, he just uh, he breaks things down and. You know, it's gone. Forget about it. There's nothing you can do about it. And there's no point dwelling on it. Just move on and I'm not trying to go towards the future. You know, you can't change the past. So, um, yeah, just sure. What did I last? There's also a scene after the first fight when, when, when you won, and I think you're relaxing afterwards in the jacuzzi, yeah. and you reference a fighter who famously, after an occasion, he said when he won one time, he got 6,000 messages. And when he lost another fight, nobody but his mother 
sent him a message. I mean, that, that, that says a lot, doesn't it? Funny enough, I only Googled that last night. It was 1,060 missed calls, what the actual I over exaggerated 6,000. <laughs> it said 1,000 missed calls. <laughs> it was uh, 1,060, right, this morning. And he, but when he beat, uh, what's, who, who did he beat again? Sergeant Martinez. He became world champion. Sergeant Martinez. Yeah, he, he became world champion. Uh, he had 1,060 missed calls. When he got beaten then by Miguel Cotto, was no longer the champion. He'd four miscons, three from his mother, one from a rival number. So, yeah. It's, it says a lot, though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. Yes. You get the amount of message, you get absolutely crazy around fight time, especially when you win. Like, yeah. That's why I was talking about the jacuzzi to Terence. <laughs> and, and you, um, after that fight, as you say, one thing that did come out of it as part of the journey was. You achieved the uh, ambition to buy your own house, which to walk away irrespective of the fact that things didn't work out the way you planned. There's a massive thing. There's a lovely sequence there of you with your daughter and you're down in Cork. And uh, it's a beautiful sequence. Like, and I, I suppose it reflects really what the whole thing means to you. Well, it does, yeah. It's, as I said, at the beginning of the interview, uh, it's, it's an emotional watch for me. You know, I like to think of quite a few people from that, actually. You know. And yourself, you're 35 now. And you're still, you're, you've, you've moved to junior middleweight. And do you still think you've a shot at the world title there? 100%. I'm 35 years young. Um, and I feel better than ever. I feel, I feel like I'm improving all the time. learning more and I'm a better fighter, more experienced. And uh, I know how to train better through experience also. And, uh, you know, they say you can't put an old head on young shoulders. When you're younger, you just don't do things as good as I do now. And... Um, I believe I'm a better fighter now. If I fought myself when I was 23 years old and made my debut, if you put me in my ring now against myself in the beginning, I would absolutely destroy myself. You know. What do you think of that, Packy? Um, well, going back to uh, you know something you hit on about Spike getting over a fight really quickly, um, when Spike got knocked out against David Lemieux, we basically travelled to the, the, the hospital straight after the fight in the ambulance in his gear, and by the time we got to the ambulance, we already planned for what comes next. It wasn't a case of he got over. He didn't. He was devastated. Like Spike was saying to me, can I go back in and fight again? Can I get in now and fight him? What happened? You know, and I was like, it's over, Spike. You know, forget about it. It's gone. We cannot change it. But I said, Spike, you know, I've been on at you about going to junior middleweight for a long time. I said, you've been fighting at middleweight and you're a small middleweight. You're fighting guys coming in at super middleweight. And when he fought David Lemieux, if you watched the, the weight difference on the night when HBO done it, uh, scheduled the dressing room an hour before the fight. It was 20 pounds, almost 19 pounds in the weight difference between Spike and David Lemieux, which puts David Lemieux at the cruiserweight limit, Spike still at the middleweight limit. I said, here's the opportunity now. You know, let's draw a line on what just happened and let's reinvent as a junior middleweight. Let's go back to where you should have been a long time ago. So he said, okay. So by the time we got to the hospital, to the time we got back to the hotel, although it was still fresh in his mind, he just lost a big opportunity. We set this whole new journey up, you know, at a junior middleweight. And when you watch the film, um, you will see, you know, the next part. And it, it, it's, it's brilliantly put by Terry. You know, it's, it's doom and gloom and all of a sudden it's excitement. Really, really excited. And I was actually watching and I was excited too. And then I won't say how it ended, but I was disappointed because I wanted to see more. And this is what became of our journey leaving the hospital on this night. You know, we were in the hospital and there was some guy in there to get him. 
some guy had just got shot, some guy had just got stabbed, there was loads of stuff going on, and we were looking at each other going, you know what, could be a lot worse, nobody's hurt. So on the way home, we're thinking, um, let's get the next journey going. So I already text Ken Casey, Robert, so I had the wheels of motion straight away. And we're in there two months, we were fighting on Westport, and then after that we were in Paddy's Day in Boston. So the, the future's bright again, and it's exciting. And you also showed that uh, you had a sense of humour about it, because on Twitter you... Uh you put up your shorts for sale. Uh, very, there wasn't much use to them, as you think, as you said in the Twitter in the Twitter post. They weren't worn long, like they were only worn three minutes more than once, so <laughs> they were relatively new. You know. But I mean, I suppose it, it showed that you know you can face up to the fact that that ended that way, and that's just the nature of things. Yeah, it's like Pascal says, "Fuck it," you know. So what, you know? The money I got softened the blow nicely anyway for me, and I got the house, so yeah, that helped. And Spike, as you say, you're 35, but you don't see age as an impediment in that regard. Absolutely not. I, I googled there recently uh, who became the oldest world champion, and you're Bernard Hopkins, he was 52. You know, hopefully I'll win the uh, late middleweight championship of the world, but um, I may not. You know, who knows? And they can happen in boxing, but I do believe I will become world champion. Maybe in five years' time, a super middleweight, but I'm a bit older and fatter. Who knows? But I believe I will win the world title at some point. And do you ever wonder about whenever you do pack in? What life might hold for you after that? Like it, it is very difficult for professional sportsmen, particularly involved in something like boxing. What do you do when it all finishes? It's at least fifteen years away anyway, so uh, <laughs> I haven't been thinking about it too much. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I suppose like Pascal might get involved with another fighter. Um, you know, I'll do something. Probably go on the movies, producing movies with Terence there. And uh, Paki, you were a boxer yourself. And you, you, you know that the day comes when the boxer has to realise there is that, that's the end of the road. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't plan it. I mean, when I, I never actually retired from boxing. I was getting ready for a fight when I was living in Massachusetts, uh, training with Goody Petronelli, myself and Kevin McBride, the heavyweight, lived together. We were both getting ready for a fight in the same card. I got a bad cut. Um, Kevin asked to continue getting him ready, which I did. He won. And next thing you know, he's, he's offered a fight Mike Tyson. So he asked me to help get ready for that, and I did went on to get him ready for the Toys fight. He beat Mike Tyson. So all of a sudden, without retiring from boxing, I became a trainer. Um, I still wanted to fight. But then I realised, you know, working with these guys, that uh, you can make more money a lot easier and still have a life at home. So I kind of went into the role of becoming a trainer, which I never planned it. So as much as you want to keep going forever, there will come a time when either, either I will tell him that's it, enough is enough, or he will just get sick of it. But... As I say, Spike is planning for his future. He's bought himself a house. You know, he's, he's, he's done a, this, this short film with Terry. Maybe the, the acting, he has a, a presence about him, his looks. Maybe the acting could be way to go. Um, we discussed years back about opening a coffee shop in Cork. You know, Colin, I don't remember what you said to call it, was it? Hard Knocks. The Hard Knocks Cafe. The Hard Knocks Cafe and making a sports cafe because you get a lot of sports bars, but a lot of people who don't, you know, like maybe have a glass of wine or beer, but like we don't have a coffee in the evening times. So open a bar called the, the Hard Knocks Cafe, show boxing, other sports. And, you know, and there's a lot of business people who's good friends with Spike want to get involved in businesses too. So, uh, But in, in general terms, and you've seen fighters who had to, um, when the time comes, when they have to pack in, it is a difficult transition. Well, fighters are always the last people want to stop fighting. It's, 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 it's the, the roar of the crowds, the buzz of walking into the arena, you know. The fighting is the easy part of being a professional fighter. really is. It's exciting, you know. It's not a case you like getting hurt or hit, but you kind of do. You feel like you're alive. 
it's the preparation, the training, being away from home, which Spike is, that you hate doing. So, but as I say, when it comes to a point where a fighter's had enough, it's up to his coaches, managers, family, enough's enough. And you can fall out of fighter because of it because if you have nothing else lined up for after boxing, um, it's like, where do I go from here? So as I say, with my fighters, I, I kind of become a, a life coach. I say, get yourself an education. You know, continue working. Don't become a full-time trainer because you only train two hours, maybe three a day. What else are you going to do? You know, educate yourself. So I help them plan for what comes after. My brother Steve was, you know, two-time world champ, made a lot of money, but he still have, he goes out and does his own stuff and he has investments made. He was clever. So I was lucky enough to see all this growing up and I pass it on to my fighters because I do care about them. And I, as I say, I want us to remain friends for the rest of our life and I want them to all do well. I want them all to do well, you know, Probably won't happen like that, but it's what I want for them. And, uh, you know, Spike is going to continue fighting till, till he's had enough. And I'll let him make that decision, you know, as long as he's not getting hurt. And Spike, you first, you, you first came across Bach, well, you first had the dream, I suppose, 11 years of age when you saw Steve Collins, Chris Eubank. For you, the dream's still alive. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm living the dream, you know. I'm chasing my dream, for real. How old were you when you turned professional? 23. And how did that come about? Like, Pascal was training another fighter, another Cork fighter. Um, he was promoting the show down in Cork, uh, Billy Walsh, very good fighter from Cork. Um, and uh, I just Pascal called me up on that. No, I, basically, uh, Gary Hyde, you spoke to Gary Hyde. Gary was a manager and uh, he talked to him about uh, fighting professionally. Gary put you in touch with me, he sent me a photograph of you. Uh, crazy looking picture, a little pair of skin tight shorts. I was like, <laughs> I, I just took a look at the photo and said, you know, yeah, I'd like to work with him. And we came to Cork, I promoted the show. He made his debut. And then I said, I think I said to Spike about four weeks later, you want to go fight in America? And I'll let you tell the rest of the stories. Yeah, I went over and fought in America. I was like, jeez, I didn't ever even thought I'd be in America in my life, actually, because at that point, none of my family had ever even been in America or anything like that. And it was very exciting. I was over the moon to get an opportunity to fight in America. And, I did, and I knocked the guy in one round. Did you went ice skating and all? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I forgot Found about that. Out, yeah. I was brilliant. I was, <laughs> so, I was very excited, you know. It was an American, and I was fighting this great big arena, you know. It's, it's surreal to me, and it was so exciting. Just, you know, I was like kid at Christmas, you know, waiting to wake up the next morning for all the time. I was so excited, and I couldn't sleep. And I needed to burn off some energy, so I went out ice skating the night before the fight. <laughs> <laughs> you went to ice skating the night before you had the fight which I never knew till after the fight <laughs> I never knew about this till after the fight so it, here's this big opportunity to come to America and he was doing everything wrong he could have twisted his ankle or broke his ankle but he, you know the, the one thing I love about Spike is it would turn your hair grey it would stress you out but he's a character he's, he's one of these characters that you know, if he says to a kid, don't put your hand in the fire, they'll put the hand in the fire. So I just don't say any of these things to spike anymore because he just does the opposite to what I tell him anyway. And before turning professional, was it always a name or was it just something that the opportunity came along and you said, no, i got to grab this? Um, I, I just watched professional boxing on television and I thought, I thought I would just have, might have one fight as a professional boxer and then I'd be a professional, would I have been a professional boxer, I'd be able to say it. I was a professional boxer. <laughs> so uh, that was just what kind of appealed to me. And I said, ah, sure. Well, let's have this fight and have a great night. And I did. And I didn't know if I was going to have another fight. Haskell called me up then and asked me to fight in America. After that, I was like, jeez, this would be true. So I went to America and, you know, thought it, I didn't know whether I was going to win or whatever, but I thought it'd be great to get, go over there anyway and um, go ice skating and stuff. 
Great stuff. Spike, Packy, thank you very much for talking to us today. Okay, that's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank producer Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon on sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify, and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at MickCliff. See you again soon. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.